0: Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord, that's the prayer. We've sung the prayer that we need to pray this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on your gathered people today. Lord, we thank you that you are the living God, that our experience of your Holy Spirit isn't based on how hard we ramp up our emotions, but on your sovereign and, uh, and perfect will for us. You desire to fill your people. It is a good gift that you want us to have. So fill us now. Fill the preaching, the teaching of your word this morning, Lord. Um, our, our, our skies are gray and cloudy, but give us uh, bright and luminous hearts filled with your wisdom this morning so that we're able to partake of the goodness of the scriptures. Be with me, the preacher of the word, Lord. Don't let me make this boring. We pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, give us all ears to hear and hearts open to receive. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to make it boring this morning. It is a very didactic sermon. Uh, let me give you some some advice. So, if a didactic is a teaching sermon. There's a lot of teaching in it, and uh, so it's going to be. Uh, there's your head's going to be involved. Sorry about that. I don't know if anybody told you that you were going to have to bring your brain with you to church this morning. Things that help sometimes, you know, pinching yourself. Oh, my gosh, when is this going to end? Um, no, seriously, taking notes is a very helpful. Oh, yes, slapping yourself. Don't slap anybody else. Don't miss. But, you know, popping yourself every now and then. Uh, actually, last uh, last service, uh, <laughs> I know who it was. But in the middle of the sermon, somebody just went, <sighs> like that. I said, like, okay, all right, that's not an amen. I understand what you're saying, but, uh, <laughs> but take notes if you, if that helps me, uh, when Chris is preaching, always, it's very, wow. no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but no, seriously, the, there is <laughs> zing, uh, there is, you got Matt breeding, and, and, and what goes around comes around, and I know that it'll come around to me too, but. <laughs> On the back of your song sheet, there is a column that is perfect for taking notes on it. So if you want to write some stuff down, this would be a a good sermon to do that in. You know, uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, famously quipped, and he did that a lot. He was a famous quipper, but he famously quipped that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been uh, found difficult and not tried. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb this morning, and I am going to disagree with the perspicacious Mr. G.K. Chesterton. I don't disagree with him a lot, but I think he got that wrong because Christianity is not difficult. It's impossible. And let me repeat that. It's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible to live the Christian life. And and no, now that I've said that, now that you've heard that, we're not going to go home. So at least not until we take up an offering, and then we might think about it. No. No, it's, it's impossible to be consistent. Let me tell you how hard the Christian life is. It is impossible to be consistent in your prayer life and in your devotion to God. It's impossible... To live victoriously over besetting sins and entangling habits and seductive temptations. It's impossible to love your neighbor as yourself. Heck, it's impossible to love your family as yourself. It's certainly impossible to forgive and love your enemies. It's impossible to do the very first thing that a disciple is commanded to do, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. These aren't hard things. These are impossible things. And if we are left to ourselves, we have only one. If we are left to ourselves, we have only one thing to look forward to as followers of Jesus, and that is complete, abject, total failure. But today, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which is the feast where we celebrate that we have not been left to ourselves. We've not been left to ourselves. It is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised to His disciples. He promised them that He would ask the Father, and the Father would send a helper, as we just read in John chapter 14 this morning. And the Greek word, as many of us already know, the Greek word for helper is paraclete. It can mean advocate. It can mean one who comes and stands alongside. It literally means that, somebody who comes and stands right beside you. And the Scripture reveals that this helper this person that was going to come and stand alongside of and empower Jesus's followers to live the Christian life is none other than God Himself, God the Holy Spirit. Not a force, not an influence. No, He is a person. He is the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, John chapter 14, beginning in the 16th verse. You're going to get a lot of Bible this morning. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So did you hear that? The, the God the Spirit, the Helper, is not just going to dwell... And the aggregate with his church, he's going to... Jesus says he will be in you. God will be in you. So, and by the way, this is one of the things that uh when when revival would break out in the church, particularly in the English church, and particularly thinking about the eighteenth century as as uh, revival was breaking out under George Whitfield and John Wesley and others in the Church of England in the eighteenth century, one of the things that they were accused of, those people who were being uh re- born again in that revival, they were called listen enthusiasts, ooh. You enthusiast, you. Well, what, what, what is that? What does that mean? In theus, God in you. It's, yes, they're enthusiasts because that's what Jesus promised. In theus, God in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. The very God who created the cosmos is going to take up life in the believer, and He will supernaturally, listen to that word, I'm not just throwing it around, I mean supernaturally empower the believer to live the life impossible. The supernatural life is the natural life in the life of the Spirit-filled Christian. The supernatural is natural for the Spirit-filled Christian. But many of us have this blind spot in our Christian discipleship regarding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I want to deal with this morning. It's a doctrinal sermon. But you know what? I don't don't apologize for that because fleeing from doctrine is what's gotten the church in problems that's in right now. So who is this helper that is living inside of us that Jesus has promised? In other words, what what kinds of people actually have access to supernatural living in the Spirit. Well, if we, are, if we have not experienced the new birth... Okay, listen. If we've not experienced the new birth, if we've not accepted Christ and been born again by water and the Holy Spirit, then we are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. You can turn there in uh, your pew Bible. It's page 944, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is what St. Paul says. He's talking to believers. He said, "...for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons." by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So that means that Paul is saying that when a person genuinely accepts Christ, the Spirit of God, that Spirit of adoption, comes to live within them and bears witness with their own spirit, we call this the assurance of salvation, that they are indeed children of God. God gives us inward assurance of our salvation through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery. We received a spirit of adoption. We are. Stop and listen. We're God's children by adoption. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? He made us rebels, sinners. He made us his children. I can't, I can't get over that. Thank you, Jesus. And he's given us his spirit to bear witness of that. So Paul indicates that when, this, when we're born again, that spirit comes to live within us. And yet, and here's the interesting thing, maybe the sad thing, There are still, even in this increasingly unchurched and secularizing age, many people who have been in church their whole lives, who have never truly turned away from their sins, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, and and been born again by the Holy Spirit. I know this is a decreasing phenomenon. Many of those people who have never accepted Christ, and never intended to, and have been coming to church, I, I don't know why they did, Well, they've come to their senses and they've said, you know what, I don't believe this. Why am I here? And yet there are still people who have never accepted Christ in the church today. They've never received that spirit of adoption. Such a person does not have the Holy Spirit living within them, and by definition, by definition, they are incapable of living that supernaturally empowered life. If you've never accepted Christ, I don't care how long you've gone to church or how many Sunday school classes you've been in, you do not have the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit, only those who have received Christ. Indeed, these unconverted church people, unconverted church people, there are such things. These unconverted church people often find their born-again fellow churchmen and church women that they do things and make decisions that just seem downright strange to their unconverted friends. In fact, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, listen to what Paul says. He says, the natural person, in other words, the person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And I see it all the time. When the Holy Spirit begins to move in his church, people begin to live out radical discipleship. Maybe even in the worship service, things begin to happen that are a little supernatural and the unconverted go, ooh, that's weird. Yes, because we're living in a different, enhanced reality where the living God has taken up residence within us. And not because we were so special. It's because God adopted rebel sinners. People who didn't deserve it, like me. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now... There is an important point that needs to be expanded on right here. And we're going to take a little side trail here. When a person is regenerated... Okay, please listen. This is worthy of notes, I think, anyway. I made notes. (laughs) You could too. Uh, But when a person is regenerated, when he or she experiences the new birth, she or he at that moment is plunged into, is baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is what the scripture teaches in that 1 Corinthians passage we heard this morning where St Paul is speaking to all of the believers in the Corinthian church. So listen to this. It's on page 500 and I mean excuse me, 959, 959 in your Pew Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. Listen to what it says. In fact, I'm just going to read it straight out of the Bible, not from my notes here. This is what it says. Paul writes, for in one spirit, we were all baptized. How many? All. All. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and how many? All were made to drink of one spirit. So that's what we're talking about here. A truly converted Christian is someone who, according to St. Paul, has been baptized by the one Spirit into the body of Christ, the church. And we need to have a little more thought added to this because it, this, this is challenging. Listen, it is unbiblical to speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace. Separate from regeneration. At some, that would happen sometime after the new birth. Now before I go any further, let me explain to you what I mean and give you some background, okay? I believe it is my conviction based in scripture that the Holy Spirit still supernaturally gifts believers to the to do the work of what Jesus said first of all, he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He said, and you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, will receive power. You will receive power from on high. When the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit was poured out on the church. This supernatural empowering was given for the purpose of spreading the good news to everybody in the world. That's the first thing. Jesus, Why, why do I believe that? Because Jesus said that, all right? And the second reason that Paul gives us is in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 12, where Paul says this. He says that we should pray to get, receive the gifts of the Spirit for the edifying of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. So we're given the gift of the Spirit for the proclamation, for mission to go out. And by the way, if you're, if you've ever been in missions, you will see more than likely, you will see more of the naturally supernatural life. Because here's the deal, God is, and I think there's somebody in this room that told me this, and I, I won't point them out, their, their initials are Brian Towie, um, but said, but because God is like any good general, he sends the ammunition to the front lines. He sends the ammo to the front lines. So missions is a place where we often see some of that supernatural empowering. We see it in our day-to-day lives as we offer Christ to others, but certainly in missions so we we are gifted for that and then we see it in the upbuilding of the church the gifts of the spirit are given for that as well so i believe that all of those spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the new testament are continue to operate today why would i believe such a thing because there's not an expiration date i looked and there isn't it doesn't say gift of the spirit best diffused by 33 ad it doesn't say that okay So I believe, and if believing in and experiencing the biblical... And by the way, we're stuck with this book, y'all. At Christ Church, this is it. This is the foundation right here. So if believing in and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit, the biblical gifts, which are the charismata in Greek, if that makes you a charismatic Christian, then I guess I am a charismatic Christian with a (laughs) seatbelt because I'm an Anglican. (laughs) I believe that throughout the Christian life, as, as it says in Ephesians 5.18, it says, and do not be drunk with wine wherein is debauchery, that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That verb in the Greek, to be filled, is an indefinite verb. It means basically to be, but be filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. And we see that worked out in the book of Acts. The the disciples are filled repeatedly by the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And I'm so glad it's not just a one-time thing, that that Holy Spirit can refresh us over. He can refresh us over and over again. We'll talk more about that later. But it has been my observation that some Christians who have been dramatically filled with the Holy Spirit following their conversion have consequently begun and have consequently begun to experience a, dr- a dramatic new power for Christian living and the gifts of the Spirit, have misidentified and mischaracterized that infilling as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's really a, an error of nomenclature, an error of vocabulary. But folks, I want us to keep, I want to keep linked to the Bible, okay? I can't, I'm just, uh, I don't apologize for it but I'm just becoming a plain old Bible Christian more and more and more the older I get. I'm, I'm just, I'm, my mind is too small to contain anything much more than that. I am homo, homo unius libri. I'm a man of one book. I'm a man of one book. So yes, some people have been dramatically filled and empowered by the spirit in a way that before that moment they had never experienced. But we have to keep the language of the Bible as it is used in the Bible. And this so that that's that's not the baptism of the spirit, that's an infilling. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is synonymous in every one of these 7 Places in the New Testament where the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit is used, there's seven places where that's mentioned. Every one of those is synonymous with the born-again experience, the new birth experience. Michael Green, who was a great Anglican churchman and scholar, a minister of the Church of England, He he just passed away this past February. He passed away this year. Uh, I was acquainted with Michael Green. He was an outspoken supporter of the charismatic renewal movement within Anglicanism in particularly and within evangelicalism in general. And he wrote this. Listen to what he said. There is therefore no possible justification among those who take the New Testament as their guide in claiming biblical support for a doctrine of a second blessing, a mandatory further experience after conversion called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In each of the seven references in the New Testament, the phrase baptism with the Holy Spirit is unambiguously used of an initial plunging into Christ. It is not talking of the higher reaches of Christian experience, but about the basics of being a Christian. It is not always that we can be so sure about a controversial issue But in this case, the language of baptism with the Spirit admits of no other conclusion. So yes, all the gifts are operating. Let's use Bible terminology. Here's the important point. What many people want to do, though, is to make the Bible fit their own personal experience instead of their personal experience fitting the Bible. In other words, I've had this amazing experience in the Holy Spirit, which is true and good and genuine, after my conversion oh, that must be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, you've been filled with the Spirit. In fact, I think that this reasoning, this kind of reasoning, underlies the majority of heresies of the postmodern age that affect the church. My experience is the ultimate authority, thus the Bible must conform to my experience. That's where error begins to enter into the church. So back to where we started. God has given to every believer the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to supernaturally empower us to live the impossible Christian life. But if that is the case, if we do have the Spirit living within us to live the supernaturally in a natural kind of way, the impossible Christian life, we got to ask ourselves this, all right? Why is it so many of us struggle to live naturally supernatural? what's the problem? Why is our Christian life so often burdensome and frustrating and even fraught with defeat? Well, speaking to the Galatian church, St. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17, he begins to give us the answer, all right? For I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul says this, listen, in the Christian life, there is this residual anti-God force that he calls the flesh that is at war with the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've ever experienced that anti-God force in your life, you can say amen. Amen. I've experienced it. I'm experiencing it now. (laughs) It is this background static that constantly wars against the Spirit. All of us fight against this. In other words, we still live with the effects of the sinful nature. We are still, they're still within us passions, and desires, and attitudes, and appetites, and agendas that want to draw us away from the love of God. Every one of us who is a follower of Jesus, and you're going to fight that fight until you go home to be with the Lord. There ain't no relief in this life, but there is victory. But the fight goes on to the very end, our last breaths. Uh, J.I. Packer, I love J.I. Packer, a great Anglican churchman. I love him because I can trust him and I can trust him because he was alive when the Bible was written. Uh, No, J.I. Packer, again, somebody I know, he's a great man of God. Believers find within themselves contrary urgings. The Spirit sustains their regenerate desires and purposes. Their fallen instincts, the flesh, which though dethroned, the flesh is dethroned, but not yet destroyed, constantly distract them from doing God's will and allure them along paths that lead to death. So when we surrender to these distractions of the flesh, we dethrone the Spirit of God from His place of lordship in our lives, and we place ourselves on the throne. And when we do that, we lose. If you are on the throne of your own life, please listen, Christian, If you're running your own life, if you're on the throne, you will lose the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and following Romans chapter 8, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, listen, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The fleshly mind is not neutral. We think that I can have a world, a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom and I can just be neutral. No, that is the mindset on the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not, Paul writes, it does not submit to God, God's law and it cannot do so. It doesn't submit to God. It cannot submit to God. The flesh will always lead us away. From the power of the Spirit. Those who are in the flesh, Paul writes, cannot please God. The easiest way to fall into the flesh, the power of the flesh, is to ignore or rebel against God's will as revealed in His Word. When we are in rebellion against God's Word, we lose the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, part of that is because once you say no to the the light of the truth of God's Word, you have said yes to darkness. We call this the noetic effect of the fall. In other words, there is within you and me this this, uh, part of us called the noose, N-O-U-S. It is that part of me that has the ability to apprehend the things of God, the truth about God. And God activates that and enlivens that in the new birth. But when we turn away from the truth of God's word, we are being darkened in our understanding. And we're walking in the foolishness and walking in foolishness and and deadness of trespasses and sin. So when we turn away from what's been revealed in God's word, it's as if God says this to us. He says, I already gave you my clear word and you ignored that. Why do you cry out to me for guidance when you spurn the guidance I have already given? Because here's what we'll do. We don't want that guidance. (laughs) Is is, Is there a plan B? I want to try the plan B. God says, listen to my word. We also lose the guidance and power of the Spirit when He prompts us or warns us inwardly, and we ignore those promptings or warnings. Again, if we ignore the guidance He is giving now, if we reject the power He is giving now in order to go our own way, then we cannot expect to receive greater guidance and power in the future. Hey, Ben, the Spirit of God says, Ben, don't say that. You're in a situation where, you no, don't say that, don't say that. And you ignore that, and you say, go ahead and say it then you have turned away from the, the guidance of God's spirit in that moment and you're not going to be listening to God this happens to me so if we are believers and we seem to lack power for christian living the power of the helper in our lives what is the remedy we need to constantly be filled with the spirit this is the we're going to wrap this up in fact uh <laughs> Um, we're commanded, like I said, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled over and over again because as uh, St. Charles said this morning in prayer time, he said we have to be filled because we leak. I got that from you. All right, all right. So so what is required to be filled by the Spirit? Here's This is worth writing down, okay, as we we bring this to a point of application. If you want to have power to live the supernaturally natural life. You going to be empowered by God's Spirit. The first thing is that is required is desire. We need to desire this. And folks, I got to tell you, I think there is an epidemic of apathy in the church. I don't think we really want this. I think the reason we don't have it is we don't want it. I, I see it in my own life, you know. Jesus said, talked about the parable of the sower, you know, the seed that fell into the thorny ground was like, it's, those, it's the word of God that falls into the ground and then the cares and the riches and the deceitful pleasures of this life grow up and choke the word and it doesn't bear any fruit. And the cares and the riches and the deceitful pleasures of this life. You know, I think that my desire for God is is attenuated is is cut back is choked because i am so comfortable in the world may god in his mercy gently change that A.W. Tozer said, The degree of fullness in any life, the degree of fullness in the Holy Spirit in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. You will seek me and you will find me. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have just as much, he writes, this is Tozer, we have just as much of God as we actually want. The second thing we have to do in order to be filled with the Spirit is surrender to the Spirit. We, need, we have to repent of our self-directed living and being willing to be willing to surrender our lives in love to Him completely. Jesus said in John 14, we heard it this morning: if you love me, you will keep my commandments, you'll surrender to me, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Again, listen to the words of Tozer. Do you want to be filled with a spirit who, though he is like Jesus in his gentleness and love, will nevertheless demand to be Lord of your life? Are you willing to let your personality be taken over by another, even if the other be the Spirit of God himself? If the Spirit takes charge of your life, he will expect unquestioning obedience in everything. He will take the direction of your life away from you. He will reserve the right to test you, to discipline you, to chasten you. For your own soul's sake, he may strip you of many of those borderline pleasures which other Christians enjoy, but which are to you a source of refined evil. Through it all, he will enfold you. But through it all, he will enfold you in a love so vast, so mighty, so all-embracing, so wondrous that your very losses will seem like gains and your small pains like pleasure. And finally, I think the main reason that most Christians are not filled with the power of the spirit is they just haven't asked for it. So the third thing is ask for ask for him to fill you. We haven't been asking for this infilling. They just don't know that they could ask. Jesus, Luke chapter 11 verse 9 says this and following. So I say to you, Jesus says Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who asks, receive. No, only a few. No, Jesus said everyone. But the special ones who ask, receive, right? No, everyone. Okay, but the really good Christians, they're, they're the ones who, no, everyone. For everyone who asks, receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, this is what Jesus says, listen to what he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. But he'll give it just to people who are really prayed up hard, right? To everyone who asks, everyone who seeks, everyone who knocks. How much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, brothers and sisters, let's don't gild the lily. Let's don't go bronzing our gold medal from the Olympics. (laughs) Let's do it we don't need to talk about it anymore this morning when you come to holy communion when you're this is the this is like god giving gifts part of the service most profoundly right there at that table he's giving out gifts he oh what kind of gifts himself do you want a better gift than that there isn't one If he is giving himself away, can I have your spirit too, Jesus, a full infilling of your spirit today in this place? Yes, I know it's an Anglican church, but it could happen here too. He did use the word born again. So I know it could happen. Why not pray when you're coming up to receive the Lord's Supper, when you're holding out your hands and you're putting that food in your face and you're drinking that precious blood of Christ, the chalice of our Lord, the wine that is given at this table, why don't you say, Lord, as you feed me now, fill me with your spirit. Please, I want a desire to desire you. Come, Spirit. We'll have prayer ministry, Jan Hinton and Charles, St. Charles, St. Jan, St. Charles. Are going to be praying during, that, during this service as well? You would love to pray with you. You don't have to pray with somebody because everyone who asks receives. But ask to be filled again. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wow, if people said about Christ Church, those people naturally live supernatural lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.